You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Well, a very good morning to you. It's great to have you with us for this special Good Friday service. And I hope you can stay afterwards as well and join us for tea, coffee, hot cross buns, and a little bit more of a um, chat. We're going to have a little bit of a look at God's Word now and... You know, I heard it again this week. What? What's with the bunny rabbits? Like, they don't even lay eggs. What, what is it with the rabbits and the eggs? Isn't it, isn't it kind of strange this time of the year that um, we have these symbols? And they, I don't think anyone really, really kind of knows. I guess, you know, a, a good guess might be something about new life or something, but... I don't know, it feels a little bit weird, like some ancient fertility rite or something. Rabbits and eggs. You know, symbols, um, meaning can come and go, can't they? And yet even as Christians, we, we need to admit we have what a couple of a thousand years ago would have been regarded a, a quite strange symbol to represent our faith. And that is, of course, the cross. Back in the day, it was a horrific symbol. I guess it might be a little bit like... A, you know, adorning yourself with a little piece of jewelry with maybe a, a, a lovely gold machine gun or a lovely silver machine gun, a symbol of, of death and cruelty and, and so forth. And people would look at you and kind of think, well, that's a little bit odd, right? You know, why, why, do, you, why do you have that hanging around your neck? So, so how did the cross, a tool of great torture and and something which represented a horrific death. How did the cross become a symbol of good? And what does it mean for us as, as Christians? To understand that, I'd like us to have a little bit of a look at a, a passage in Romans chapter 6, where Paul is actually addressing this. Let me read it to you in its entirety, verse 1 to 14. And then we'll go back and have a look at just a couple of verses which are particularly pertinent to us today. And then uh, I'm, I'm going to introduce you to half of the story today. And, and then uh, Tom Kimber, uh, good to see you here, is going to introduce you to the other half um, on Sunday morning. So it's going to be a part one and part two. Hope to leave you in suspense today, and we look forward to seeing you again on Sunday morning. But let me read to you from Romans chapter 6, verse 1, from the NIV. What shall... We say then, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin." Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. 
Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are no longer under the law, but under grace. Oh, Heavenly Father, would you, by your Spirit now, come and help us understand these words. We see a repetition of the word sin many, many times. What does that mean? Help us to understand that. We read about death and crucifixion. Help us to understand that. And help us to understand its significance to us today. Come now and be present amongst us. And minister your word. We ask in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Paul here is firstly talking about the disease of sin. And, and he says it, it actually is a universal problem, this problem of, of sin. And in fact, Romans chapter 6, verse 2, he talks about the problem or the possibility of actually living in or dwelling in sin, becoming so cozy with sin that you actually dwell or abide in it. It feels very much like home for you. What a funny thing. What a funny thought. And sin, of course, is that state in which we are alienated from God. In a state of rebellion, it's kind of like, you know, we have at one time said to God, speak to the hand, not to the face. And, and God took us at face value or hand value. This is the problem of sin, and it's, it's quite universal. I guess to understand this, perhaps an illustration might, might help. I, I know as a young boy, uh, I, with the friends in, in our court, we were never far from a, a cricket bat and a, and a tennis ball. We always had one in our hands somewhere. And, and when you saw a set of wickets or when you saw a, 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 you know, a brick wall, it was just too tempting, particularly if there was only two of you. So imagine for a moment that you were walking along, you had a bat in one hand and a ball, and, and you saw a brick wall, and it had beautifully painted onto the brick wall a, a set of wickets, and you sort of thought, beauty, this is, this is for us, this is made for us. There's just two of you, and, and so you decide to have a little cricket match, just the two of you. One of you bowling, and then that whole wall is, you know how it works, that's your wicket keeper and your slipsman. So, so you were bowling, there's only one problem. Somebody has placed a window just above the set of wickets. So you think to yourself, no problem, I'll be a careful bowler. And so uh, your first ball, sure enough, a lovely Yorker, and yet he, you know, your friend digs it out and he sends it, sends it far and wide, and all of a sudden you're running after that and you're thinking, man, I can't afford for that to happen again. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get puffed out. Well, your next ball is, is a little bit more wicked and... And it is, has a bit more pace on it and a little bit of bounce. And you're sending him a signal, stop hitting me. And this one beautifully just flips up and a little bit of off spin. And you kind of think, I've got him. 
he'll clip this and it'll hit the brick wall, which is, of course, the slipsman, and he'll be out. I'll be, I'll be behind that bat in no time. But the bounce on it is a little bit more than you expected, and sure enough, right through the window it goes. Wow, that is an inconvenience. Well, you look at each other and you sort of think, oh, oh, I guess we should have seen that coming. And there are two possible attitudes at this point, aren't they? One is, <laughs> who owns this place? <laughs> Whoever it is that owns this place has got a lot to answer for, putting a window above those wickets. And you can, you can debate the origins of that window forever. Oh, you know, the wickets were here first and then the window came. Or, no, 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 the window was here first and then the wickets came. What is the origin of that window? But all of a sudden, the argument seems a little bit mute because you see a gentleman walking towards you and you think, uh-oh, <laughs> I think he might be the owner of this building. Your friend has the attitude, you know what, if he is the owner of this building, he's got a lot to answer for, putting a window above our wickets. <laughs> You're thinking, uh, if he is the owner of this building, I think we have a lot to answer for, putting those wickets below his window, and now look what we've done. And that second attitude perhaps is the, the one in which we recognize the problem of sin. The truth is, we know who bowled that ball. We did. And some may say, if there is a God... He has a lot to answer for. And some may say, if there is a God, we have a lot to answer for. And of course, there are those who say, if there is no God, there just aren't any answers. Well, Paul here believes there is a God. And he believes that actually we have a lot to answer for. And that is the problem of sin. You can debate the origins and, until it's, you know sort of all a, little bit, all a little bit circular. But at the end of the day, we know who bowled the ball, and we know that we have a problem. We have a lot to answer for, and that is the problem that Paul is addressing here. But there's good news. There's good news. He goes on to say there's a cure, but it's an unexpected one. What is this cure? How do you overcome the problem of sin? Well, the Bible surprises us because it says you don't. You don't overcome the problem of sin. You overcome the sinner. In verse, verse 3 here in chapter 6, Paul says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There is a sense here, a very real sense, in which we know we sometimes have baptisms here at Eltham Baptist Church, big black tub, up here on the stage, and, and as somebody is immersed into the water and then brought out again, it symbolizes actually a rather horrific thing. It symbolizes their death, but then it also symbolizes their resurrection. What we're saying here is that a couple of thousand years ago, for all those who believe in Jesus Christ, his death has meaning for you. As he was in the tomb, you too were in the tomb. As he walks free from the tomb no longer a slave to death, you walk free from the tomb, no longer a slave to death. His death means you too have died to that old try-hard self. It has very important meaning for us. 
I, I guess you could think of it this way. Uh, let's say you were taking a trip to Hawaii. It's a lovely thing to do. We should all do it. Maybe next week. You're t- flying to Hawaii with a friend, but as you get to the airport, this friend happens to be the pilot, so he's going to sit in a different part of the plane to you. And you're, you know, very happy about that. He has a job to do. So your friend, the pilot, goes and he sits up front and he does the things that pilots do, you know, revs it a little bit and kind of puts it into gear and takes off. You're sitting back in coach. And after a few hours, you apparently arrive in Hawaii. Your seat's not fantastic. It's not near a window. You can't actually see out there. You're stuck in the middle of the plane. You can feel what people are declaring to be a landing. And then you hear an announcement saying, welcome to Hawaii. Now, how do you know you're in Hawaii? You can't see Hawaii. You can't touch Hawaii. Apparently, you know, the little screen says you're in Hawaii, but that could be a map of anything, really, couldn't it? How do you know you're in Hawaii? And then your pilot friend up the, up the front happens to be, uh, you know, a little bit like the president of the country in which you've just arrived, a bit of a fan of Twitter. And he's sitting up the front, and on Twitter, he puts a little announcement. Ha-ha, I've arrived in Hawaii. And you sit back in your seat and you think, oh, I wish I was there. That'd be ludicrous, wouldn't it? But perhaps, perhaps you've failed to understand that if he has flown to Hawaii and he has now arrived and he's your pilot, then his experience is your experience. You too have actually effectively flown to Hawaii and you've arrived in Hawaii. Or you might not be able to see it, but he sees it and that's enough for you. He sees it and his experience is your experience. And so... You understand now that you, as you're disembarking on the plane, that it's true. Everything that he twittered was true. What has happened for him has also happened for me. He flew to and arrived in Hawaii. (laughs) Go figure. I too have flown to and arrived in Hawaii. His experience is your experience. And, And that is, although with far greater odds and repercussions, that is what Christ has done for you. His death is your death. The fact that he was in the tomb means that you too were in the tomb. His experience is your experience. If he has died, then you also have died. The way the Bible says God overcomes this problem of sin is not necessarily to help you become a better and better Christian. Many, many religions talk about all your striving and good works. Christianity is very different. It actually says you can't beat this sin problem. It's like a disease that is going to take you. Truth is, you don't get rid of the sin. You get rid of the sinner. You actually have to die. Well, that's horrific. It's all right. But Jesus has done that for you. As he has died, so now you too have died. Are you starting to get a sense of why... We call this horrific day Good Friday. There's good news and there's more good news. Paul goes on to say that once you're dead, once you're dead to sin, you can no longer be a slave to it. It can't be your master. Once you are dead to sin, you've actually been set free. In verse 6, we just read this before. Your old self was crucified with him. So that the body, ruled by sin, and I think we all know what it means to be ruled by sin at times, don't we? Well, 
Paul will go on to talk about that. There are things I hate and I end up doing. And I just ask myself, why did I do that? And there are things that I'm supposed to do that I just don't do. Oh, why can't I do that? You know, we all have that experience, don't we? So we know what it means to be ruled by sin. And Paul says here, well, our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We shall no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 7 says, Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. That's the wonderful good news. God deals with the sinner and he sets you free. He sets us all free. I've shared this story with um, folk from Eltham before, but being Good Friday, it seems to me to be a Again, a very applicable illustration for us. Many, many years ago, some dear friends of ours, um, their daughter Bethany, uh, contracted a very, very horrific form of cancer. It was um, uh, the, the sort that, that sort of was almost like ink in the brain. There was no treatment for it. Nobody has survived it. And so when our dear friends received that news, we, we knew that more likely than not, unless unless it was God's will to intervene and to heal her, she would not be with us much longer. Bronwyn, who, you know, way, way, way back used to be a nurse, um, because of they were dear friends of ours, she volunteered to be one of many people who would help nurse Bethany. And she happened to be um, with Bethany on the night that the Lord took her home. And I remember Bron telling me that that morning she, she realized actually a song, and it was kind of random except for God's providence, was playing in the background, Come Away With Me. It's a song about God saying, come away with me. And, and that song was playing as, as Bethany passed away. And Bron said later that she, she tried to remove a few tubes and, and, and just make make Bethany's body now, because Bethany wasn't there, but Bethany's body look as, as presentable as she could. And, and she went upstairs to, to tell the parents that, that Bethany had passed away. Linny, the mother, came down and, and she stood at the door at a distance for a moment and then said something that was very surprising. Looking at the body on the bed, she said, it's dead. And Bron looked at her a little bit puzzled, thinking that, you know, perhaps, you know, thinking about Bethany's death and the fact that Bethany was, was now dead, that she would use different terminology. But then Linny, just nodding to herself, expanded on that and she said, The cancer, it's dead. And she wasn't talking about her daughter at all, she was talking about the cancer. It's dead. You see, Bethany's body was dead, yes. But so was the cancer. The cancer was now dead also. Bethany, she was set free. She'd gone home to, to be with her Lord. She had been set free. The death of the body meant the death of the cancer, the disease. But it also meant for Bethany, she had been set free. This is a bit of an illustration for how God deals with the problem of sin. As Christ dies, so our body, our old self, the try-hard ass, that also dies. 
that body of sin, as Paul refers to it, it's also dead. And as it dies, so does the problem of sin, this disease of sin, like a cancer. It's also dead. And us, we are set free. The body is dead, the disease of sin is dead, but we are now set free. This is, this is the promise, this is the good news, this is what Paul says. We are now free to be everything that God has designed us to be. Everything that he, he says we should be, everything that he desires for us to be. We are now free from the power of sin. We might say sometimes, and, and even in a little defeatist moment as Christians, we might feel like, you know, here I am, I'm supposed to be a Christian, you know, oh, why aren't I a better person? I guess we might say, and this is poor theology, we might say, I guess this is just who I am. I struggle with this particular sin. This is me. But there is no me. You've forgotten for a moment, haven't you? There is no old you. There is no me. There is no, I guess this is just what I am. No, there is no you. Colossians 3.3, 3, you died. And you have now been hidden in Christ. You see, the cross, which was once a symbol of death, has now become a symbol of grace. Verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master. Look at that. You are free because you are not under the law, but under grace. The cross, a symbol of death, has now become a symbol of grace. It means for you and for me, we can be free to be all that we were meant to be. That's good news. That's what makes Friday a good Friday. That's the good news. The cross of Christ, a symbol of grace, means forgiveness of sins, but it also means freedom from sin. It means you can live now the life that you've always wanted. Good news, huh? Good news. And we celebrate that on a day like today, a Good Friday. We celebrate that by sharing together what we often call the Lord's Supper. It is a table uh, in which we we come together and we share two more symbols, bread and also wine or, or juice. And that represents the shed blood of Christ. And of course, the bread represents his body, which is broken for us. 1 John verse, chapter 1, verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's what we're celebrating today. God is light and we are now free, as we've just read. We are free to walk in the light. And as we do this, we have fellowship together. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. You might be asking the question today because some aspects of Christianity may be foreign to you. And you may be asking the question, how can I be right with God? How can I know what it means to have a relationship with God? <laughs> I know who bowled the ball. <laughs> I know who made the mistakes. My life is a series of mistakes. But, but if there is a God, how can I be right with him? What will make that right again? The blood of Jesus Christ. It will purify you from all sin. That's what we're celebrating today. 
And it's a beautiful thing to know that you are clean once more, to know that you stand before God pure through Christ. For he, chapter 2, verse 2, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, meaning quite simply that your sin has now been taken upon him. He's taken it away for you. You're covered. You're covered. It's a beautiful thing. That's what we celebrate, and, and that's what we're going to celebrate now. I'm going to in, invite, we'll do it this way, I'm going to in, um, invite um, Umbella to actually come up. She's going to sing a song for us in the background. Um, I'll also invite um, some of our members of church council and pastoral team. They're going to come up. They're going to take one of the plates. They're going to take a tray, stand at different places around the room, and and. We've got a few minutes. You can, you can take your time. I invite you to come up. And, and if you are a believer, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have essentially said, aha, I get it. I, 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 I just have to trust that what has just been explained to me, what Jesus has done on my behalf is true. And it's sufficient to enable me to have life with God. I get it. If you believe in that, you have placed your faith, not in your own good works, but now in Jesus Christ, then, then we would love for you to make your way up to the front, to take the bread, to take the cup, and return to your seat. With the bread, you'll remind yourself of the body of Christ, which has been broken for you. And, and as you hold the cup, remind yourself of the blood of Jesus, which purifies you from all sin, the blood of Jesus, which was shed for you. Keep the cup, and in a few moments, we're going to stand and we're going to, to drink together. Thanks, Bella. ago many many more before a man did walk and pray in Gethsemane expectation of a nearing time even before the first light this man bore away he knew he must take Walking a little farther still, this man broke down upon that hill. And he asked if this cup could pass. In his sorrow, overwhelmed, all he prayed, not my will, but thine be Scorn. 
bound by those bound by greed and jealousy one washed his hands of this holy blood little did these blind men know though what this man would shed so much, Bella. Just before we drink, we have a symbol in our hand and three other symbols for you to think about today. A window, an aeroplane, and a lifeless body. The window is a reminder that we know who bowled that ball. We know we're guilty of sin. The aeroplane reminds us that, yes, Jesus died and his experience is our experience. And the lifeless body reminds us, finally, we have been set free. Would you please stand? We make different confessions sometimes before we drink. And I wonder if this morning we might make this confession. Jesus Christ, what a beautiful Savior. Would you like to make that with me? Jesus Christ, what a beautiful Savior. Let's drink together. 
You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.